1: Today's conversation will explore the profound effect that the cost of college has on access and student well-being. For that conversation, we'll be bringing in two members of the Mary Christie Institute's new National Youth Council on College Mental Health. The council is a group of college students and recent graduates who have demonstrated dedication to mental health advocacy and helping improve institutional support for student mental health. They are meeting every other month to discuss issues in college student well-being and provide critical input to support MCI's mission. The council is chaired by Carson Domi, who this audience has heard from before. Carson is a sophomore at the University of Texas at Austin and a youth mental health advocate who has worked with legislators in Massachusetts, Texas, and on the federal level to pass legislation to remove barriers to accessing mental health care and to expand resources within educational settings. So Carson, I'll bring you into the conversation now, since this is really more of a reintroduction to this audience, welcome back to the quadcast.
0: Thank you, Dana, so glad to be back and could not be on a more exciting project. I'm really so energized by the group that we've been able to pull together for the new National Youth Council. And I'm so excited to be able to help, you know, be a part of the effort to add another major stakeholder group in higher education to the scope of the Institute's work and that being students. I think we have such an incredible group gathered of diverse perspectives of students from all across the country. I really, when we had our first meeting a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of in awe that we were able to get such an incredible group of young people all on one singular call. So I think that's going to be a great promise of the signs of future work that that council will do. And So excited to be able to engage with the Institute in that way.
1: I couldn't agree more. And it is certainly a very important stakeholder group that we're bringing into the conversation. And we are so thankful to you for agreeing to steer the ship. Also joining us today is Kelsey Matthews. She is a first-generation college student, a mental health professional, a published author, advocate, and ordained chaplain. Kelsey graduated summa cum laude from University of Nevada, Las Vegas in 2023 and currently works for the UNLV School of Public Health, serving as regional program director for the defensive line, which is a Texas-based nonprofit organization expanding to Nevada with a mission of ending the epidemic of youth suicide, especially for young people of color, by transforming the way we communicate and connect about mental health. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Kelsey, we met for the first
1: time at that inaugural meeting that Carson just mentioned, and I was so fascinated by your passion and moved by your story. Could you talk a little bit about your journey of getting to UNLV?
2: Absolutely. So I get asked that a lot when I give a little bit of my background, but I'm originally from Connecticut. So I'm an East Coast girl. I was born and raised in East Haven, Connecticut for 18 years. And throughout my high school process, obviously looking at colleges, trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And I ended up coming out to Las Vegas to stay with some friends. I believe it was the summer right before my junior year. And so I came out here to Vegas and I absolutely fell in love. And as soon as I got off the plane, there was just something in me that knew I'm going to live in Vegas. I'm going to live here. And everybody thought I was crazy, right, when I said that, but I really meant it. And so I spent two weeks out here that summer. I went back to Connecticut, finished my junior year. And then the summer right before my senior year, I came out here again and I actually went and toured the UNLV campus and I loved it. I loved the energy. I loved the Rebels. There was just something about this campus that I knew was very special and something about the community here that I knew was very special. And so I knew from that moment on that that was my dream school, and I wanted to attend UNLV, and I made that my mission. And I ended up fulfilling that and, and making that dream a reality, but it was not easy by any means. And so I went back home. I finished out my senior year. Life kind of derailed a little bit. I'm sure we will talk about that. But I ended up coming to UNLV. But unfortunately, I had to take a long way around. And that was in part due to the financial circumstances that we are going to discuss.
0: Kelsey, I love to hear the passion in your voice when you talk about your time at UNLV. It's so amazing to hear that you were able to find a spot that you really felt was home. And especially that being so far away from Connecticut, kind of moving into a little bit of what you alluded, I'd love for you to discuss how your education was affected by your financial circumstances.
2: So unfortunately, the financial circumstances that I found myself in made it very, very difficult for me to ultimately not just go to college, but to finish the degree. And so when I was a kid, I was raised by my mother and my grandparents. So my mother unfortunately struggled with a substance use disorder. I was one of her primary caretakers. And so through that process, she ended up giving up her parental rights and my grandparents took custody. And so when a child has legal guardians that are appointed by the court and they turn 18, that guardianship is null and void. And so my senior year of high school, as I was applying to UNLV and going through that process, unfortunately, my mother died. She passed away of an accidental drug overdose. And that was about two months before I was accepted into UNLV the first time. And so this completely obviously changed my life. I barely finished high school, right? High school was not an easy thing for me Because of my home circumstances, I was living a very adult life at a very early age, and so school was not necessarily my top priority. And so after she passed away, that kind of left my family scrambling for support and resources and help, which are very hard to get. After I turned 18, I was considered financially independent. Now, I have no legal parents. I have no guardians anymore. I'm just on my own out in the world And so I was accepted into UNLV and I applied for financial aid. I had everything good to go. I had a roommate. I had a major. Everything was great. And unfortunately, about two weeks before I was scheduled to get on a one-way flight and move to Las Vegas to move into my dorm, financial aid got back to me and they told me that with the out-of-state tuition that I would be paying, I owed them $18,000 a year after financial aid. And of course, this was a little concerning, right? This was alarming. And I said, that's okay. Everything's fine, right? Everything's fine. I'll just, I'll get a loan. I'll figure it out. I'll do what I have to do. So I'm naive right? at 18 years old. So I start calling banks and I start calling loan companies and I'm pleading my case and these people must have been laughing at me on the other side of the phone because I'm 18 years old and I have no parents, no credit, no co-signers, right? My grandparents are old. They don't have the means to co-sign for thousands of dollars of loans, right? I don't have income of any kind, right? So I'm just kind of here in this situation thinking like, it's okay. Everything's fine. I can work it out. And I'm being declined, declined. They're declining my grandparents as co-signers. People don't want to co-sign college loans, right? That's understandable. So I am left now with no means of paying for the tuition for the school that I dreamed of going to. And I got to the point where I realized, like, this isn't going to work. This is not going to happen. I don't have the money. And even if I were to get an $18,000 loan for one year, what does that mean for the other three years? And am I going to graduate from this university $100,000 in debt, even if I am able to make it work? And what happens if I get out there and I start and then I can't finish? Are the credits going to transfer? Do I come home? Right. There was a lot of barriers And I was devastated and I was sick and tired of life beating me upside the head all the time when I finally had one thing in my life after living through utter chaos and just living through the hell that I lived through for 18 years. I finally had one thing that I was excited about and I felt like life came along and just like ripped it right out from under me and it made me really angry. And when I get angry about things, I get very passionate and I decided that I was going to make it work. So after my mother passed away, they did a fundraiser for me for college because we really didn't have any college money saved. So I had about $13,000 that I had saved from the money that was given to me for that college fund. And I came home one day and I sat down with my grandparents and I said, you guys, I'm going to move to Vegas anyway. And they looked at me and they must have thought, oh my goodness, Tracy died and Kelsey's gone off the deep end. Right. They thought I was crazy. They were like, How are you? How do you plan on doing that? And I said, Well, I talked to some of the ladies at the cat shelter that I volunteer at, and they asked me why I just don't move permanently. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to go stay with the friends. I'm going to find a job, an apartment. I don't know. I'll have the lights turned on. I'll do something. And I will go and I will get residency. And then I don't have to pay out of state. And so that's what I did. I got on the plane. I had no plan whatsoever. It was certifiably insane, but I figured I have nothing left to lose. I've already lost everything. And this is my one shot at getting out of here and being able to start over. So I came out here to Vegas at 18 by myself, and I got two jobs in an apartment that was full of roaches because it was all I could afford. And I got residency, and I ultimately ended up putting myself through the College of Southern Nevada. I went to community college first because it was paid for. And then five years later, Down the road, I re enrolled at UNLV and then I was accepted. So I had to take a very long five year detour and it was very, very difficult. But that was ultimately how I was able to not just go to college, right? Because I could have stayed in Connecticut. I could have lived with my grandparents rent free and gone to school there and done that. But I knew that I didn't want to do that. I would have been miserable and I didn't want to settle. So that is the beginning of the journey of how I got to UNLV and how I was able to make it work despite not having the funding right away. So,
1: Kelsey, first of all, I just have goosebumps every time I hear it, and I've already heard it before. So it's just amazing what you have accomplished with such adversity. And you moved out to Las Vegas and you found a way to make it work. But not only were you dealing with a huge upheaval in your own personal life and the aftermath of that, years of aftermath of that, but now you had this massive financial stress about how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to live on my own out here? Do you think that affected your well-being while you were doing your undergraduate degree? Obviously, you have still succeeded and you have managed to overcome that challenge, but did it affect your mental well-being while you were accomplishing all those things.
2: Absolutely. I always say it's important to keep in mind that young people go through enough in their young adulthood just on its own, right? So I look at my childhood and I look at myself when I was a teenager. Teenagers go through a lot. That's a hard time as it is. And then you add all the stress that I had. And it's the same thing for college students, right? A lot of college students don't have funding. A lot of college students don't have financial support. And that's difficult in and of itself, but then you uproot yourself. And again, I'm stubborn, right? I didn't have to do the hard thing, but that's what I do, right? I feel like the hard things in life are the things that are really worth doing. But I moved out here. I had this apartment. I really didn't know what I was doing. I had to teach myself how to get around. I, I didn't have a car. I ended up losing that apartment, right? Because of the cockroaches. It was disgusting. It was infested. It was a health hazard at that point. So I was renting rooms. I really didn't have a place to call home. I was sleeping in random people's houses, right in in little rooms with with my poor little cat, right who I took out here from Connecticut, and I moved 7 times in 4 years because I just kept moving. Somebody would sell the house and then I would have to find somewhere else to go. And of course, finding that your mother has died one morning, your senior year of high school, that's traumatic. So then you have the 18 years of trauma that I endured, so I'm trying to go to therapy. I'm trying to get my own mental health support. I'm trying to move forward and process through that grief and process through that trauma. And that made it incredibly difficult to be able to just go to school, right? Trying to work, trying to navigate all those things. And as somebody that didn't do well in high school, I didn't have a lot of confidence when I started community college because I was raised to believe that I was street smart, but not book smart, right? I had a lot of life experience and I knew how to do crisis intervention, and I knew how to manage difficult situations for other people, but I didn't do well in school. And I thought that's because I was stupid, right? I didn't know any better, but the reality was is I was truant for most of my high school career because who wants to go to school after their mother's overdose on a Wednesday night? Who wants to get up on Thursday morning and go to school? And if I did go to school, how present was I able to be? I don't remember most of high school. It doesn't even exist in my mind, a lot of it. So when I started at the community college, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it because, again, I'm street smart, but I don't know that I'm cut out to go to college. And so that was another added layer of stress and insecurity that I felt, am I really going to be able to do this? Am I going to be cut out for this? And so when I graduated from CSN with a 3.5 GPA that was honors, I was in Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society, I thought to myself, oh okay, maybe I can do this, right? Maybe I'm a little bit more intelligent than I thought. And then starting at UNLV, being accepted into the Honors College, winning the Truman Scholarship, one thing just led to another, and I started to see, wait a minute, I am capable. And it was the people at UNLV, the School of Social Work, the Honors College, that helped me, that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, right? And, but again, all of these things, to go back to your question, chronic health problems, mental health concerns, grief, housing insecurity, food insecurity, where's the money going to come from, right? All of those things only add to the burden that students face when they're trying to go to school. And again, for a student that is financially independent, securing that funding, great. Getting into the school is great, but how do you keep it going? There's a lot of students that don't even finish their degree because they can't get the money.
0: Thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing all of your journey. I mean, it it's truly incredible. I'm I'm struggling to find the words to, you know, commend you on the amount of resiliency that you've faced in your life. And something that we really haven't even delved into yet is the fact that you're a first generation college student. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that experience was like as well as you navigated beginning at community college and then also the transition of being a first generation student at, at UNLV as well.
2: Absolutely. I think that. It's like pioneering something, right? It's like paving the way for an entire generation of people, right? An entire family of people that have never gone to school, right? So the the support that a lot of first-gen students have from their family is limited because families can't support somebody through something that they haven't necessarily walked through. And so for me, a lot of my family was like, wow, Kelsey's going to college and Kelsey's doing these things. And that wasn't an experiences that any of them had. My mom and dad didn't go. My grandparents didn't go. So that was big for my family. But it's a little bit lonely, right? There's this level of like trying to navigate it and there's a learning curve, especially with starting out at community college. Because I think that as a society, we put a lot of pressure on high school students. By the time you are a senior in high school, people are asking you, where are you going to school? And what do you want to do with your life? Most 18-year-olds aren't sure. Like some of them are. But then you have somebody like me where I'm just trying to survive. I've lived in survival for 18 years. And so there's a lot of pressure and there's kind of a negative connotation or a stigma attached to community college in a lot of senses to where if a student chooses to go to community college, like they're less than or that's not cool or that's not prestigious, right? But again, for a student that's financially independent, sometimes that's the only option. And so that was another level of pressure that I felt as a first generation because I felt somehow like this isn't real college or whatever. Like there's a lot of things that I think that first gen students feel. And then you add the kind of the community college piece and the stigma that comes to that. And so just kind of paving my own way and figuring it out on my own because I didn't have a lot of support from my family financially or even personally, because again, they didn't go to college. And so going to community college and then starting at UNLV, I would recommend any high school student go to community college first. I don't think we talk about that enough first gen or not. Let's just take like the first generation off the table. I don't think that we talk about enough the significance of not only saving the money, and not forking out hundreds of thousands of dollars, right, to a four-year university if a student doesn't even know what they want to do or what they want to study or where they want to go in their life. So I think for first-generation students especially, community college is such a great resource because it's a little bit smaller, it's a little less overwhelming, it's cheaper, and there's less pressure to choose a major and know exactly what you're doing and exactly where you're going. And it gives you that learning curve to really step into that college life and find your way and get used to studying again, especially students who have taken time off, right? I took a couple of years off. So not only was I first generation, but I was non-traditional. And so I think that first gen label, it's such an honor, right? When you walk across that stage and you realize I'm wearing this badge of honor, right? I'm the first person in my family to do this, but I don't think we talk enough about the pressure that comes with that label.
1: Thank you, Kelsey, for for talking about all of that and also for that insight about community college. And I'm so glad that your experience with community college was so impactful and so positive for you because I think it is such an important piece of our education system. I want to talk about Resilience and overcoming adversity. It is obviously a really important piece of your sense of self and your story. What you have overcome is so incredible, but I know you feel that should not be a requirement. Can you talk a little bit about that? Should resilience and the ability to overcome
2: adversity be a requirement to get to and through college? Absolutely not. You know, I think that I think resiliency is a great skill to have, but I think that there are some people in life, myself included, that have to be way too resilient, right? I, I think that it's a great skill to have. We all need to have it because life is hard. But I don't think you should have to cut off a limb as collateral to be able to get an education, right? I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that we take into account enough those students that literally struggle to survive their entire four years of their undergraduate degree. I think that we make it very difficult as a society for young people or even older non traditional students to be able to get an education. And I feel like we set this double standard, especially for young people, for non traditional students, and for students who are particularly, like in my case, financially independent. We set this double standard where these kids are in high school and their teachers are saying to them, go to college, go to college, yay, college, right? We love that. But then they try to go to college and then they can't get the funding. And then they go to places like banks or wherever it is that they're trying to get the funding. And then they're told, sorry, we won't give you the money. So we have on one end of the spectrum, we have parents and high schools, And society as a whole telling people, go to college and get an education. And then we have young people that want to go to college and get an education. And then the schools tell them, sorry, you owe us money because your financial aid or your grants, if people are even lucky enough to get that, because there's some students that don't get that, right? And they're being left in this immense pressure. How am I going to finish the degree? Or how am I even going to start the degree? So we have society on one end that says, go to college. And then we have the system that's in place that almost discriminates towards certain students. And then the student is in the middle and they feel like a failure. They're in the middle and society is looking at them saying, why aren't you going to college? And then the university is saying, we want people to come to our school, but we don't have the money. And then you have the private company that's saying, screw you, basically, right? We're not gonna fund you. And then the student is in the middle and there's nowhere to go. And I think that's a level of resiliency that is outrageous. Because is that the fault of the student who doesn't have the co signer who doesn't have the family support? No, it's not, right? So then it's requiring the student work full-time. And again, some people do work full-time and go to school full-time. Some people work full-time and go to school part-time. But again, when you go back to the idea of resiliency, that's expecting every single human being to be at the same level of resiliency or have the access to the same resources or to be able to be on an even playing field. But the bottom line is that we're not all on an even playing field. Like We're not all in the same boat, right? We're all in the same water. But some people are in a yacht and some people have a hole in the bottom of their sailboat and they're just trying to survive, right? So I think the idea of resiliency, it's a great skill to have. It's very, very important. But not every single person, especially young person graduating from high school and trying to go into their undergrad, has access to the same resources, the same means, the same opportunity. And so I think that this heavy expectation that we put on individuals, you must be resilient to be able to get a degree, I think it's unobtainable. I think we've set a standard for college students that is unfortunately unsustainable and just unobtainable. And I wish that I could say that I understood how we fix it. I wish that I can say that there's some easy way to just be able to fix the system real quick. But I I heard a quote at a conference that I went to one time and I never forgot it. A lot of people say that the system is broken. The system's not broken, right? These systems are functioning exactly how they were put in place to function. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that fall through the cracks of those systems, right? The, The education system, financial systems, government systems, whatever you're looking at, there's so many people that are falling through the cracks because unfortunately the systems are discriminatory and they're not set up to be an even playing field.
0: What a great, eloquent, really in-depth answer there. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what's next for you. All the You're obviously doing so much amazing work right now. I'd love for you to tell the audience a little bit about the different ventures that you're getting into.
2: Absolutely. So I just graduated from UNLV in May with my bachelor's degree in social work. And it's funny. I was on stage during commencement. I was one of UNLV's outstanding graduates. And so they had me sitting on the platform with the deans and the provost and the president. It was such a huge honor, especially I worked so hard, right, to get to this school. And when I was on the platform, they read my bio and someone ran up to me and said, hey, are you looking for a job? And I said, sure, who are you, (laughs) right? Who are you? You have a funny hat on, right? So you must be one of us. And it was the dean of the School of Public Health. And he let me know about the job that is open for the defensive line. And that is ultimately how I ended up getting hired. I came in, I did my interview, and I ended up stepping into this position straight out of my undergrad, which is such a huge honor because stepping into a leadership role, any type of leadership or manager role right out of a bachelor's degree is very, very rare. And so I'm super thankful for you know the School of Public Health and the defensive line for believing in me and trusting me with this position. And so I'm taking a break right now from school. I do have the Truman Scholarship that's waiting on me. So that was the award that I was given in 2022 when I was selected for the state of Nevada, which is a public service fellowship. And it's for students who commit to going into careers in public service. And so that gives me a $30,000 graduate school scholarship. So I'm so thankful that I have that $30,000 right now to sit on while I figure out what direction that I wanna go in from here. And then of course, if I continue to be employed with UNLV, so UNLV and the defensive line have a partnership. And so I'm employed through the university and the defensive line is the other half of that. And so as long as I'm employed through the university, I have access to their grant aid. And so they would actually help me pay for some schooling. So right now, I'm in a really good position, graduating with a 4.0 and having the accolades and the accomplishments that I accumulated during my undergrad. That makes me a good candidate for a lot of programs and merit-based things. So right now, I'm working. I'm happy to be here at UNLV. I'm happy to be with the defensive line. I'm not looking to rush into anything because I really want to make sure that I use my scholarship wisely. But I am considering applying to the Master of Social Work program here at UNLV for next summer. But ultimately, my goal was to go to law school. And somewhere along the way, that got lost in the equation. Sometimes when you're given too many options, that's not the greatest thing because after I won Truman... It was like, you can go to Yale, you can go to Harvard, you can go anywhere you want, you can do anything you want. And that's great, right? That feels good, but it opened the options up so much that I feel unsure as to what exactly the next step is. But I've kind of come back around to the idea of law school just as somebody that has been through so much, has been heavily mistreated by a lot of institutions and a lot of systems that have failed me. And I've seen the damage that's done To people, I've seen the the damage that's been done to people like me that have struggled through life and have been taken advantage of, have been exploited. And that makes me really angry. And we already talked about what happens when things and people make me angry, right? I have to do something about it. As of right now, I'm just kind of sitting. I'm riding the wave, as I always say, and I'm trying to figure out what the next best step is going to be. Of course, I can get my master's in public health since I'm already here at. UNLV. Long term, I like the idea of teaching, being a professor. I was heavily impacted by a lot of professors here. I enjoy teaching and I like young people. And my experiences as a college student have really opened my heart a lot to college students. And now that's a population that's very important to me because of how I struggled and how I overcame that and the people that helped me do that along the way here at UNLV and beyond. And so I think it's exciting because the options are open, right? The the world is my oyster, as some people would say, right? I can go anywhere. I can do anything. And it's nice to know that. And I want to speak and I want to write books and I want to do stuff like that. So continuing my advocacy in whatever way that that looks like, whether it's mental health or substance abuse that I've worked in, or even just abuse in general for people that have been abused by institutions or systems, right? But For now, I'm just really happy to be where I am and have the opportunity that I have. And I'm sure that as I move forward and I continue, the plan will make itself clear to me because I didn't plan on being where I am now, and that's worked out great. So in this season of my life, I'm trying to release control of the narrative and say, I'm here right now, and I'm present in the moment, and the things that I'm supposed to do and the places that I'm supposed to go will make their way to me, and I'll know when the time is right to move.
0: Kelsey, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this and just leaving this conversation so inspired by every single thing that you've touched on. And I think I can easily speak on behalf of, you know, the organization and the fact of, we are so honored to get to work with you in the coming months, in the coming years. And are so looking forward to the different things that we'll be able to work on together.
2: Thank you so much. I'm honored as well. I, this is so exciting to get to be a part of something that's new and inaugural. And there's so many amazing people working it. And it's a necessity. So I'm thankful to be here. Kelsey, I first want to say congratulations on your graduation and getting
1: your job. That Your first job after graduation. It sounds amazing. And I know we'll hear more from you and more about your work with the defensive line as time goes on. Carson and Kelsey, thank you so much for both being here and for your participation and work on the Youth Council. We are so excited at all of the promise that we see in that group. We are impressed by each of you as individuals and are really excited about what you will all accomplish together as a group. So thank you both for being here, and we will talk soon. Thank you. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristyinstitute.org, where you can sign up for the MC feed, our weekly news roundup, and Learning Well Magazine, a publication at the intersection of higher education and lifelong well-being. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.